welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening, David. Yes. How you doing? I'm doing okay. Um, <laughs> I'm suddenly, we have this top of the show topic mm-hmm. all picked out uh, to talk about. And then right before we hit record, you were like, I got to make sure I have the movie, movie ad ready. And I was like, this is going to be weird to try and oh, <laughs> talk that's about. True. Um, but I, I think I think I think it's okay. Um, so the Super Bowl happened. Okay, I love the Super Bowl because I like sports. It's we. I'm sure that like 14 year old David, if he heard me say that, would yeah. think, "What the fuck am I going to become?" Like, well, I just didn't know that. You, I don't think of you as a football guy, or do you I, just like the Super Bowl? I I, I keep up with football. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I keep up with college football, especially. Um, but the Super Bowl is it's one of the big events of the year. Um we have a we've established a fun tradition us and one other couple go to the same bar every year mm-hmm. um to to watch it. Um it's a great bar because it's like no one thinks of it as a sports bar, so mm-hmm. it's never overpacked, but they have like four TVs and great food and great beer selection and there's it's not empty either. It's like the exact right number of people come to this bar every year to watch the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um You've been there. I'm not going to say what it is on, on the air. I want oh, to keep it, to keep yeah. it a secret. Um, anyway, I, I, I really enjoy the Super Bowl. This year wasn't a particularly good game, but it was still, it's still a fun experience. Mm-hmm. But I get, I get angry to the point every year where I, I start to tell myself to just shut up because I know that I'm a killjoy mm-hmm. or whatever. But people getting excited for commercials okay it gets under my skin i feel like this is you know i'm i'm a pretty cynical guy there's you know the things that i believe in i'm usually able to go well what's the like uh like elaine with uh anti-fur who has the time (laughs) um uh I, i i can do that or i can i'm also someone who's like more than willing to see other people's point of view mm. but i think getting excited to talk about commercials which i view as you know inherently untrustworthy right sure a commercial um and i think that's the difference between what we do with our advertisers in which we're um we're telling you about the product. There's something so old fashioned about the way that we do it. Yeah. And the way that they want it. It's like the old days when it's, uh, it's like, hang on, let me uh, tell you about Kent cigarettes. Yeah. And Uh, and then that, to me, that's like, uh, that's the kind of thing that is, you know, it's aimed at our, uh, our our listeners. Um, I have the service. Yeah. Yeah. It's not deceitful, but there's something about commercials, like specifically like television commercials. Uh, And, you know, there are other things too, but, I find them so insidious and cancerous and I find them to be an ill in society. And it drives me crazy that anyone could be so unreflective on the dangers that commercials pose to all of us as to be excited for them and to talk afterwards about what was the best commercial it's so gross to me it so upsets me to the point i every year less and less i mean i used to get uh, on twitter every year and really get on my high horse and i found that no one is listening when i do it so i want people who follow me on twitter to know i'm just as 
I've got just as much of a head of steam worked up as I have in past years. I'm just relatively quieter about it yeah. because I know other people are just okay with it somehow. And I don't know how every year we can have people railing against the commercialization of Christmas mm-hmm. um, when that's nothing compared to what goes on at the Super Bowl. So here's people watch for the commercials. Yeah. That's so gross. It's so compromised of like it's it, compromising your own integrity as a member of society to, to willingly say, yes, I'm here to be lied to and tricked. Thank you. I'm going to get excited about it. All right. Okay. Hang on. See, this is why I tend to shut up because I know well, how I is, sound. I don't give a shit. <laughs> like well, here's the thing. I don't watch the Super Bowl. But, and, but I also know people that don't watch the Super Bowl, but they're like, like, oh, well, I'm going to go online and I'm going to watch these new commercials. Uh, I don't do that either. Um, but here's what I, as, uh, but here's what I will say is that it's not even so much that I understand it. It's that there is now an association with Super Bowl commercials that is like, yeah, yeah, we all know we have a product to sell, but now there's this thing associated with them where people can be silly and goofy and it can be creative as creative as it can be and it can be funny and it can be all these other things it's more just like look we all live with commercials anyway these could be at least a little bit more creative and and the sponsors uh or and the networks they don't they don't really care it's just uh, be memorable and so but it, as it, it's like it's like a guy being really personable and funny and friendly with you just to get close enough to steal your wallet or slip a knife between your ribs that's what it is to me. Yeah, but can't it's you like, appreciate- yes, it's creative and all that. Yeah. But it's still the point of it is something that you're supposed to be on guard against. Do you know what I mean? Are we? Yes. Why are we supposed to be yes. on guard against it? Yes. Because the whole, it is an entire, the, the entire thing is that it's going to lie to you. It's like, it's like, uh, you know, uh, Loki. You can't, you can't be friendly. You can never trust Loki. That's true. You know? And that's what commercials are. They're Loki. They're villains. And sometimes they're very entertaining. You know, Tom Hiddleston, uh, you know, prancing around saying all kinds of funny or uh, whatever uh, stuff. I'm sure um, he would love that, that, that assessment yeah, of his performance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just prancing around, you know, like a, like a, a you know, fruity little middle schooler or whatever. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm um, channeling like a Midwestern yeah, no, I, dad I get there. It. Um, we put you... Every... Every commercial in the world should be looked at through like squinted eyes. Like what's really going on here? You know, we don't have, we don't have the, 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 they live glasses, right? We can't really see what's going on, but we have to have our guard up. Hmm. Do I agree with that? Here's what I would say is commercial. uh, I think it's just, it's not even, I don't think even cynicism. It's just, just be realistic and just be like, they have, they have something to sell. We all have something to sell at some point. And we all know that we will play something up in order to sell it. I don't think that necessarily means it's a, we will put paint something in the best possible light, whether it be ourselves in trying to get a job or make a friend or, you know, uh, get a romantic, find a romantic interest Mm -hmm. or something like that. Now commercials, it's like, here's the, here's what gets me about commercials. Actually, if there's, if there's anything dishonest about it, here's what it is that there are, there are ad agencies Mm 
Uh-huh. I almost wish that the companies would do their own commercials because at least then I know that they believe in the product. <laughs> you know what I mean? But even then they don't necessarily, they, they just, might not necessarily, yeah. but it, they, they personally have a vested interest. Right, right. Uh, they're, they're at least passionate about the product. There's, there's a certain degree of that. There's pride of ownership, even if they're yeah. just people that manufacture it. Um, and so there's just something about, you know, and that's why, honestly, that's why, and maybe, maybe the listeners find no, maybe they, they don't see any difference between what we're talking about here. And then in a few minutes, we're going to talk about movie, but I will say I have movie and yeah. then, and then at, in the middle of the ad, we're going to be talking about a movie that we, that you and I have watched together. I will be mentioning it, uh, that we've watched together. We both like, and it is available right now. There's no lie in that. Exactly. We are, you know. make, we will be making the case for movie treating right. you the the listener as an equal and mm-hmm. deserving of the respect of coming out and making the case but what is we're the, not going to have Christopher Walken with a sock on his hand uh try and do a little dance and uh try and get you to buy a new car is that, uh, is that, that, that was one of the, okay. one of the ads um and maybe here's and then we can move on well, maybe do, here's okay okay oh, i do have a question okay well let me say this okay maybe part of the reason that TV commercials in particular upset me so much is that it's filmmaking in service of the basest possible pursuit, which is to make money, to to sell something. Okay. It's, it's so vulgar to me. It's taking my favorite art form and making it in the, in, in the real most classical definition of the word something vulgar well and and which is almost why i want a company to do their own because at the very least they're expressing something that Uh they probably feel whereas an aid ad an ad agency absolutely doesn't feel this way maybe they like the product but they didn't opt to make this commercial uh they didn't say like i love this product so much we're going to do this one pro bono they're not going to do that right um here's my question for you though Okay, hang on now. Hang on, hang on. I'm having three thoughts at once. Probably just two. You know, I'm not that smart. Um, I was going to ask you, where is the lie in commercials? But then I immediately had a thought, a follow-up. The lie is often that it's not actually a commercial. The lie is often we're going to do everything we can to distract you from the fact that we're selling something to you. Look, we all know we all live in a world of commercials. We all know that. So what we're going to try and do, we're going to do it. We're going to, we're still going to hawk the product, but we're going to try and convince you that you're watching something goofy or nostalgic. We're going to play up an emotion and the emotion might be real, but it's just in. And so the lie isn't that the product is bad. Or that it doesn't work. It's it's not that it's not that the lies. Oh, this product is terrible. We're saying it's good, or uh, that people could get use out of it, but it's actually pretty useless. Like the products work, and there's nothing wrong with saying, "Hey, this is a good product, and we want people to know about it." Right. It could actually help people in their everyday lives. That's fine. Uh, Joy has really sold me on a lot of these ideas, <laughs> but uh, but you know what? She also was her own spokesperson. But anyway, um, and so. The lie, I was asking you what the lie is. The lie is not, buy this product, uh, is secretly it's actually not very good. The lie is, we're not trying to sell you a product. Right, we're trying to make you laugh, or we're trying to tug on your heartstrings. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's, I mean, look, I'm, I'm 
being who I am, uh, I'm an easy cry when it comes to movies. Yeah. Yeah. And commercials have made me cry before. Yeah. But, uh, I hate myself for it. I don't, <laughs> the worst movie in the world. I can get, te- I, can, I could tear up from the right movie. I could tear up watching coyote ugly Yeah, and not feel bad f- about it. Mm-hmm. Even though I still don't think it's a good movie, but I'll feel gross if a, if a commercial gets to me. Um, you know, just there were a, a few years ago, there was the uh, Darth Vader kid, that car commercial. Like a lot of people were like, oh, that's so heartwarming and cute. And reminds yeah. me of the nostalgia that I have for Star Wars and the way that passed on from generation to generation. And yeah. it's like, yeah, and it's being sullied yeah. for a Volkswagen. <laughs> Why yeah. can't you just have someone come out and say, here are the features in the new Volkswagen? I mean, yeah, it would be boring. It would sell fewer cars, yeah. uh, uh, upsettingly. But yeah, uh, I'm, uh, I'm not into it. Yeah, it's, uh, and I, and I'm not, I don't feel as passionately as you do about it, but I guess the cynicism and the realism <laughs> is still there. I'm just like, and I, I'm trying to think part of me feels like, and this is this, here's what actually scares me. Part of me feels like, I feel like I don't see that many commercials. I mean, I don't, I don't watch a lot of TV. Yeah. Um, so it's just like, I feel like I don't see a lot of commercials. I, pr- but this, what scares me is I probably do. And I probably see them a lot, but they've become such a normal thing that yeah. it doesn't even register that I'm seeing them. That's what, yeah, there's, me. yeah, there's, we've crammed advertising on into everything. Yeah. Uh, and so I mean, it's disgusting. And so to seek it out, to sit down with your, nachos and beer on Super Bowl Sunday and be focused on the commercials. It just seems like you've, you've given in. It seems like, like we're, it's going to, it's, it's what's going to turn us into idiocracy, which is not a movie that I like, but that's, that's where that, that's what the slippery slope is to me. But, and here's the thing, using words like disgusting, I don't think there's nothing, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong morally maybe artistically but i don't think there's anything inherently wrong with the concept of a commercial people got to get the word out about their product and if you want to try and do it in like a like a uh, a pitch kind of way it's one of the reasons uh, that show that that was short-lived because of the death of billy mays that show pitchman uh-huh. was a great show because there's there it's it is a person selling this thing and they are talking about this thing yeah i think i think i like I don't, I, I don't begrudge anybody the, the, the necessity of having to sell this thing or having to convince somebody that this thing that, that works and is good is works and is good, but it's, it's the, uh, so I don't find anything disgusting about it. It's the, it's the, the fact that they're trying to do something else. They're trying to act as though they're not doing what they are. I, I find a certain purity in saying, Here's what the product is. Yeah, I guess that makes you know, sense. I um, still don't. I, I still think people should be skeptical. Should be skeptical. I don't, well, which sure. is not the same as being pessimistic, by the way. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. be skeptical. When yeah. We tell you we're about to tell you about a movie in like just a few seconds. Um, it's fine to be skeptical. You know why? Sure. Because this product will uh, withstand your skepticism. Yeah. You know. But here's the thing. Uh, we wouldn't be saying this if we weren't paid to say it. You know what I mean? What saying this about movie? Yeah, like we yeah, they we paid us to say it, but at the same time we have turned advertising away yep. because we did not want to be we did not want to say certain things. Yep. Um, so yep, this is a true. thing that we believe in. So I feel like that's I feel like that's probably a pretty ringing endorsement. That oh I think if, I think we are above board. 
Yeah, across the board. Nothing disgusting about us, David. Yeah, let's get so, to that ad. Yeah, I know. I can't wait. I can't wait. David, I want you to think back to your childhood. <laughs> 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 um, okay, so. Um, and it's funny because the movie I'm going to be talking about is one that you and I watched in college together. And but oh. anyway, okay. Uh, this episode and everything we just said, uh-huh. uh, actually let's say everything from now on is brought to you, uh, <laughs> by movie, a curated online cinema that brings its members, a handpicked selection of the best independent international and classic films. Every day movies curators introduce a new title and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy all for only four ninety nine a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. And I should say, just uh, by the way, this is something that I have observed. Uh, It is also available on Apple TV. Uh, That is a recent development. Um, Among the movies currently available is Peter Glenville's Beckett, starring Peter O'Toole and Richard Burton. Uh, We watched this in college and didn't expect to really respond to it as much as we did. Everything about it seemed like just one of those, you know early 1960s like okay here's something about royalty okay we got it mid 60s um but it's so much more it's not it's not necessarily cutting edge but it's so much more involving and engaging because it's about this this friendship yeah and it it has um, an immediacy to it that it I mean, it feels like a movie from the sixties. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's still uh, a period piece and a great one, but it, um, f- it feels of its era in a way that's not dated, uh, in, in a way that makes it feel much fresher actually. Well, and because the story that it is telling is one that is actually, you know, it's, it's appropriate that it was made in the 1960s because the story is not necessarily anti-establishment, but it's basically saying these guys were best friends and then politics came along and one of them wound up dead as a result, (laughs) you know, that the idea of power corrupting, but just this idea of you think you're close friends with someone. You think that, uh, you think that your principles are important. You think all of these, okay, here's a little bit of power. Now, where are you? Um, and I feel like that's one of the things that, that fascinates me. And I will say, I feel like in general, I have not seen enough Richard Burton. I've seen Spy Who Came In From The Cold, which is amazing. I've seen Beckett, which is amazing. I've seen Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which is amazing. Um, you and I in college watched uh, Look Back in Anger. Yeah. Um, everything I see him in, I think he's I think he's astounding and a very in-the-moment actor. Uh, and I, But for some reason, the the urgency to see his stuff is never there. And I think I, I think it needs to be, I think he's somebody that I need to, to look more into, but anyway, so he's Beckett, in 1984, he is, I did see that. Yes. Um, that was probably the first thing I've ever, I ever saw him in a uh, supporting role, the uh, inquisitor yeah. role. Um, so, okay. So that's Beckett that along with many other films, uh, 29 other films, in fact, uh, are available at Mubi. And there is also a special offer for listeners of battleship pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com. That's M U B I.com slash battleship to redeem. Now that wasn't so hard. Was it? No, nope. that wasn't such a chore. Not at all. Uh, and I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com, which is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors. And they're very stylish and they're very colorful and they look great and they sound great and we use them Mm -hmm. uh, and we endorse them and we enjoy them Uh, and they're available for a low low price at tweakedaudio.com but if you uh, put in the offer code pretension at checkout 
you will get one third off that already low, low price and no shipping charges. That's tweakedaudio.com offer code pretension. Let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Now, this is, we've been doing this podcast for like nine years. Yeah. Um, but this is a more recent, uh, what is this, four years old or so? I believe um, so. And this was uh, an idea that you had. Yeah. Um, when we, we, we spent so long talking about the, the best movies of the previous year that we kind of feel like at least among ourselves, we end up talking about the same movies because they're our favorite movies. And so you had this idea of what about the movies that aren't necessarily the top 10 or even might not even be top 50 might not even be honorable mentions, but something about them deserves to be highlighted. Um, and, and here I'll, I'll just go first. Okay. Um, and I'll start by saying what my personal, uh, criteria were. Okay. I wanted to pick movies that either didn't get the movies that didn't get talked about a mm. lot for a number of reasons. Either they didn't get a wide release or, um, they did and no one saw them Yeah, or they were dismissed for, you know, not necessarily That's a big one for me. I'm not necessarily going to, this isn't necessarily my, this movie is underrated, although right. it kind of like, I'll get into that a little bit. Yeah. But these aren't movies that people hated, but movies that people just didn't think too deeply about. Yeah. In order to underrate a movie, you need to rate it. Right. Yeah. But like the the movies were so quickly dismissed that people didn't even give give themselves a chance to underrate it. Um, So here's how I've uh, divided mine up. I've got two studio movies. Okay. Uh, big studio movies that that I don't think um, people thought enough about. Then I have two documentaries that I don't think uh, right. people saw, and then I have one that arguably, at least among our peer group, probably did get talked about a fair bit. Okay, but I still think um, needs more uh, needs more attention. So okay. we'll, we'll see when we get to my last one. If you agree, uh, maybe the, I don't think you've seen it. So okay. there's at least one person who still needs to see it, okay. but, uh, there is, the last one might be a movie that more people have talked about, but I'm going to start with my, with my, for the first of my two studio movies. Um, and this was a movie partially, this could be expectations because I went into this with my scowl affixed. Oh, I was all ready to hate this movie because it is a remake of one of the greatest horror movies of all time. Oh, okay. Poltergeist. Yeah. The Poltergeist remake did not get any of the credit it deserved for being a really, really fun time at the movies. Directed by Gil Keenan, correct? Yes. Who did Monster House, which I love. I mean, and so, and Monster House is a scary movie that is still family friendly and still incredibly fun. Yeah. And, 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 um, Poltergeist, like from what I understand of Monster House, has a real uh, sense of uh, personality. You know, it's in terms of like I'm trying to think of another remake from this year. I was I was thinking of um, last year, two years ago now, 2014, saw the RoboCop remake, which was so sapped of any individuality. Yeah, um, they was, did what they could with those Samuel Jackson things, but those felt but perfunctory. Even that, yeah, it's it, it feels like why did they even make this? Whereas Poltergeist seems like. Gil Keenan had some fun stuff he wanted to do with this construct and he was, and he, uh, you know, it was updated in a way, um, that, that, that felt worth updating it for, you, you know, um, they were able to do fun things like the, um, 
the Zelda Rubenstein character, who in this movie is played by Jared Harris. Yeah. Um, instead of being like a this medium type, I mean, he still is, but he's he's a famous TV cable ghost hunter show guy. Yeah. Um, that's something that wasn't didn't exist in 1984, what, 82. What year is Poltergeist? 82, I believe. You know, they didn't have those kind of shows. Um, so it's fun to update it to that. You know, these yeah. characters all know who he is before he even shows up. And there's this idea that, oh, somebody who who deals with ghosts in 1982 is like, this person is inherently strange and uh, outside of the norm, whereas yeah. now it's a reality show and everybody knows about it. Yeah, yeah. And um, cool little things with, you know, they didn't just insert, you know, flat screen TVs and, you know, try to make it uh, more just contemporary in that sense they actually made uh did scary stuff with technology there's a scene where the daughter is uh on her phone and listening to headphones listening to music on her headphones and she hears people moving around in the house Mm. and when she takes out her headphone she doesn't hear it anymore so the the ghosts are like in her earbuds the ghosts are in the machine one could say (laughs) yeah um that's really creative and interesting to me and uh You've got um, uh, Sam Rockwell and um, Rosemary DeWitt as the uh, as the couple. They're fantastically charming actors. Um, you've also got kind of the uh, opposite economically. You've got a family on the opposite trajectory. You mm-hmm. know, whereas uh, Crazy Nelson and his family in Poltergeist they were upwardly mobile. They yeah. had just moved into this brand new suburb um this poltergeist is the opposite sam rockwell has lost his job and they've had to move into this older house probably built even before the house from the original poltergeist yeah. um while he looks for another job and and so it's it's different enough uh and fun enough um and scary enough on its own that it definitely deserved more credit than it got that's interesting i did not know and i'm sure and maybe it's not that big of a Maybe it doesn't play that big of a role, but the idea that both films are embodying the general uh, cultural tone, which is 1982, it's morning in America, suburban (laughs) sprawl, optimism. Oh, wait, maybe we shouldn't be so optimistic because maybe let's look at let's look at uh, exactly what our optimism is built on, as opposed to now it's. Yeah, things aren't going so great, and on t- uh, you know, I I lost my job. I I have to move to a worse neighborhood, and on top of everything else, now there's this. I literally yeah. cannot catch a break. Um, that's very interesting. I didn't know that. That's uh, that actually makes me want to see the movie even more. And I and I wanted to see it. Um, okay, so my uh, first film is not a studio film. Uh, it is David Zellner's Kamiko the Treasure Hunter. Okay which is a film that it might've been the first film of 2015 that I saw. Um, uh, I went to a screening, not really knowing what to expect. Uh, I thought it was going to be almost a quirky comedy for those that don't know. Uh, there's the, uh, there's that urban legend going around of this, uh, Asian woman of you hear old, you hear young, but the one thing you always hear is it's an Asian woman, which feels maybe a little bit, racist uh it's just somehow i don't know there's just an element of well she's asian it's like oh i get it it's like and it's just like oh that's not a great thing to be saying um but anyway uh the urban legend is that uh this asian woman 
watch the movie Fargo, which purports to be a true story. Uh-huh. Uh, and then figured, well, wait a second. Uh, if they in fact buried this money, I'm going to figure out where it is. And then, so flew to, uh, that area and then looked for the buried money that didn't actually exist and then froze to death. Uh, that is not, that's actually not a true story. Mm -hmm. Um, there are elements to it that are kind of true, but it is not that much. And so the director, um, and I don't like to necessarily look at the director's notes, but this one was interesting. He said he wanted to, he wanted to move forward as though it were true. And he wanted to people hear that story and laugh mm-hmm. and think like, Oh, what an idiot. And he's like, I want to assume it is true. And I want to figure out who it is, who the person is yeah. that could, that would do this. And it is at times very funny. At times it's kind of adorable. Uh, the woman is played by Rinko Kikuchi in a wonderful performance. I did. I submitted her for, uh, the BP for best actress. Um, cause she captures the tone just right where it is quirky. It is sometimes silly at times. It's a little bit, uh, implausible, but there's an emotional core of yearning and, Underneath all of that, I will say that it is a film about the power of art and that how many of us, you know, you and I moved to Los Angeles to pursue film related goals. How many people, uh, watch a movie or a series of movies and they say, this has changed my life. I want to do this, but it's going to require leaving my home and pursuing something even in the face of uh, highly unlikely success or just straight up failure. And even the, even if the people around me are jeering at me because of this, well, that stencil works perfectly with Kamiko, the treasure hunter. She literally sees a movie and says, I need to leave and pursue this. Mm-hmm. It's not the film itself, but it might as well be. And so there's just so much going on with, with the film. And you know, the ending is a little bit ambiguous. Uh, if you take it one way, it's remarkably cynical. If you take it another way, it's actually very hopeful and inspiring. Um, and both, and, and, and both interpretations are totally valid. Uh, it's a really fascinating movie. Seek it out. It is worth your time. Uh, now I, I didn't realize, I didn't think about this until you said it, but I think my next, uh, movie which another studio movie might have been the first 2015 release hmm. that i saw in 2015 as well uh it's nikki caro's mcfarland usa hmm. uh, uh again not a movie that was panned but that everyone just i think they just took it as at face value in kind of a condescending way of this is the disney live action disney uh family movie yeah. you know this is it's about baseball. I saw the rookie years ago. I'm good. Well, that's the, th- uh, what I was going to compare it to is million dollar arm because I didn't see million dollar arm. Yeah. Um, but that was not a movie that was well thought of. Whereas the rookie is a really good movie. And mm-hmm. I think kind of got more critical respect than McFarlane USA did. And I'm not sure why, because it is in, in tone in that sort of like low key, very naturalistic, but still, uh, sentimental without being pandering or sappy way. It's very similar to the rookie. Hmm. Um, they are both the, they're the same kinds of, uh, of, of movie that is, uh, I mean, there's certainly, um, you know, to get all, 
to get all internet about it. There's certainly some problematic aspects to the fact that it is uh, another like dangerous minds type, like white guy comes in to change the lives of uh, minority, um, poor minority characters. It does. It does have that, but it also, you know, that, that archetype just makes me love the movie stand and deliver all the more. Oh, which I never saw because it's such a, because it's literally just, uh, you know, a group of, of Latino kids. And then in walks this no nonsense Latino teacher. And it's all, it's all this community for lack of a better term, like demanding more of itself as opposed to, well, we're going to need a white guy. And it's based on a true story, so there's yeah. that as well. But anyway, sorry. Uh, and the Portland USA is also based on a true story. But I think this could be, you know, I mean, we bring our own points of view and to a certain extent our own politics um, to every, any movie we see. And part of what I like about it and what I think is um, actually makes the lead, Kevin Costner's character, um, being white um, and played by Kevin Costner, uh, effective is that it builds such a strong sense, uh, a realistic sense of the community in this uh, almost entirely Latino uh, small town that I feel like the movie is kind of saying this, this town is not McFarland, California, this McFarland USA in its, um, you know, Mexican food and where, huge portions of the population don't speak English. This is just as much America mm-hmm. as, um, you know, the field of dreams or whatever other small town baseball movie, uh, you know, like this is America too. And this is just as much, this story is Americana mm-hmm. in ju- in just the same way as any other, uh, small town, um, movie concerning, you know, uh, majority white characters would be. Um, and I think, seeing it as a as a white person as a you know a white audience seeing it from a white uh character's point of view i think i think it does it while it might be problematic to to bring out that uh that trope again i think it is used very deliberately mm-hmm. to to try and and um get across uh, another um version of of america that we don't see as often on, mm-hmm. on screen um Sort of that thing that that I, I think I've kind of arrived at uh, in regards to Edward's Wick, and specifically his his sort of uh, white uh, white superior, not supremacy, but like a, a white superior, right. uh, whether it be like Glory, Last Samurai, right. and Blood Diamond, Blood Diamond yeah. um, where in in all three cases the you know the 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 black guy, the Asian guy, and then the other black guy um, <laughs> are supporting characters. All three get supporting actor nominations, and then Denzel Washington won uh-huh. for Glory. Um, and so it's just like, well, clearly that's the more interesting part. Why aren't we seeing it from this guy's point of view? Um, at, why does it always have to be the 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 white guy's point of view? And I think it's because like, well, that's the audience he's making it for, and so it might be seen as presumptuous to go from a point of view that is not Edwards Wicks and rather than oh, try and rather than try and speculate, it's just like, well, look, this is going to be my, per- my perspective, no matter what, it's going to be the perspective of my audience, no matter what. Yeah. So I might as well use that to get them at the very least more in sympathy with something that isn't them. Right. Uh, and this is slightly different than that because Nikki Caro is, um, a, a woman from New Zealand. Yeah, none, none of the above. <laughs> yeah. But I, yeah. I think, um, 
I, I feel like this is the kind of thing that I'm going to say and don't immediately have the examples to back it up. Okay. But I feel like a lot of the best movies about America are made by non-Americans because they're able to uh, sort of stand back and consider it uh, from a less biased point of view. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, that's McFarlane USA. Definitely check it out. Okay. So next for me is a film that you have seen. Um, it is Fun Anna way. It is Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck's Mississippi Grind, oh, yeah. which is a film that I remember you uh sent me the screening for it and we you'd seen the trailer as had i the trailer looks forgettable and you know what uh, a phrase that for me has become a word uh who gives a shit <laughs> um and i said like yeah i'll take it i, I thought i was kind of taking one for the team uh-huh. but i also did like ben mendelson so i was like well it might be interesting there um and the film winds up being this very you know, the ending is, is interesting. Um, but it's this film that has great performances specifically by the two leads, Ben Mendelsohn and Ryan Reynolds being, being real life, Ryan Reynolds, there's movie Ryan Reynolds where he's very charming in a very scripted way. This, and there are actually good looking, charming people in everyday life Uh who decide, who don't decide they're going to go be movie stars. (laughs) They just live their life. And, I think he embodies that wonderfully. And then Ben Mendelsohn playing a guy who's very kind of, he's kind of a schlub. He's kind of a loser, but he also is intelligent and there's, and you realize there's more to him. Uh, There's a wonderful scene where he, uh, he plays the piano and just, and he's good at it. And you actually suddenly see him just like, right. There's more to everybody. He might be, we've only seen him as a loser. And for the most part, he is one, but at the same time, he's a successful real estate agent. He can play the piano. He has a child somewhere like there's more to him. That's there's positive and negative to everybody. And I feel like that's just what the film is about. Uh, there's more good to Ben Mendelsohn than you would think. There's more bad to Ryan Reynolds than you would think, but not so bad that you think he, that, that he's the devil you think he might be. Uh, it's these yeah, two guys that, yeah. that see something in each other, see a kinship there. Uh, and it's not this predatory friendship. It's more like this, uh, it, there's an enabling aspect there, but there's also a camaraderie and, and a, a kindred spirit kind of thing. And it's just, there's so much going on in the film that I really, really enjoyed and did not expect to. And it's, it's a film that I feel like most people would enjoy. Um, and it's, and it's from the same people that made half Nelson, which I was a big fan of. Uh, yeah. and, and it's, and it's, it's that it is people that are sort of on the margins of society, even if they wouldn't immediately appear that way, just sort of people that are for lack of a better term, losers, misfits, whatever you want to say. Um, and then finding the humanity, uh, and finding the, the, the emotional or, or experiential common denominator between us and them and the, and each other. Uh, it's Yeah. Mississippi grind. Watch it. Uh, yeah. I like that. Um, Ryan Reynolds seems to be one thing and doesn't just like Ben Mendelsohn seems to be one thing and, and doesn't. Um, I like the way the movie changed it. It, I guess it fleshes them out like a good movie should, but it also sort of changes your opinion on them. And I think uh, over the course of me, I think it, it, the way it illustrates that is by being a movie about two guys going mm-hmm. on a trip there have been the whole movie, but it's episodic. And a lot of the episodes include different, very small, very good performances from women. Yeah. So we, we, absolutely. S- we end up seeing them first, Alfred Woodard. Then we've got 
Sienna Miller and Annalee Tipton. And they've got Robin Weigert. And like, mm-hmm. they're all very brief, but we're seeing Ben Mendelsohn mostly, but um, uh, in his friendship with Ryan Reynolds through the eyes of different people who are not only in completely different locations, but are approaching the world from a different point of view mm-hmm. because they're women and uh, Ben Mendelsohn and Ryan Reynolds are men uh, for the whole movie. <laughs> um, uh, I, I think that helps us see the way it, it helps us consider these characters from different points of view that we keep getting these different, uh, them interacting with these different women. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm, I'm kicking myself for, uh, for forgetting how amazing Alfred Woodard is in her scene Yeah, in, in, in everything about that scene, the way it's not even just the way it's written, but just the concept of the scene seems like it could be too clever the idea that this this woman who is you know middle aged and very benevolent that she could actually be a loan shark um, or a bookie I guess um, it it could be just like oh see we tricked you it's a, there's more to it um, but she has enough power as an actress to pull off both right um, she has an inherent authority and you and then eventually you realize oh that's why she has authority because she's absolutely an authority figure to this guy yeah um, but anyway the, we can move on Sorry. the standout to me actually of the of the uh, actresses was Annalie Tipton who's mm. Sienna Miller's friend yeah because um, I just knew her from two things I knew her from Crazy Stupid Love um, which is a fine uh, it's an okay movie uh, and then I knew her from the terrible Two Night Stand um uh, with, do you remember that movie? That I, it sounds familiar. It was basically she and Miles Teller have oh, a one night stand, but then they get snowed in and end up spending like spending a whole weekend. That's right. In his apartment, which is a great premise. Yeah, it's just not a very good movie. Hmm. Um, I wrote my review of Two Night Stand in my car in the parking lot outside your place here. I think I had shown up early to record and you weren't home. Oh, okay. and I was like, I got to get this review written, so yeah. I just opened the laptop and wrote the review in the car. The editor's all over my ass. I gotta get this thing. <laughs> gotta get this thing written. All right, is it my turn? Yes. All right, we're moving into my documentaries. Okay. And now this is a movie that I can almost guarantee. I know I, for a fact that you haven't seen it because I feel like you would have told me. Uh, but I can almost guarantee you the the listener hasn't seen it because it did not get a very wide release. I saw it at the Hollywood Film Festival, which is a festival you've um, never heard of, but shows a lot of good stuff. Um, and then it did get a very small release. Um, it's a documentary called something better to come. Mm. And it, um, it, you know, I, I feel like we get, uh, really blown away when movies like, you know, boyhood is, you know, is a movie made over 12 years. Right. Um, and then documentaries like hoop dreams is what, eight years, yeah. uh, you know, um, something better to come is a documentary that takes place over 14 years yeah. following, following one, uh, girl from childhood to young adulthood. And, and she is part of a, um, small class of, uh, outliers in the Moscow region who live in the dump. Um, the, the, there, there's, I, I forget now I just go back to my interview to remember the name of the the dump, but it's the largest dump in Europe. I think it's just outside of Moscow. And there are hundreds of people at any given time who are just living there. Hmm. Um, and so this, 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 uh, the director who's never get, she was, uh, um, you know, very, a charitable activist person and got to know about this, um, group of people and had donated like medical services and food and stuff to them before. And then just, took her camera to the dump and started, um, 
uh, following this one uh, young girl um, at her own risk, by the way, because the city dump is owned by the city, the mm. government, the Russian government, who were not keen uh, with uh, as someone uh, filming the fact that there yeah. are hundreds of people living in there. Uh, and the the movie it almost never leaves the dump. I feel uh, this is something that I have said back when we talked about it in the movie journal, but that was so long ago to the point where it almost starts to feel like it takes place in a foreign world, like, mm-hmm. like a, an alien planet somewhere because the ground isn't ground. The, gr- the ground is garbage. Yeah. And the uh, only other signs of life are these, uh, goals that are constantly squawking and flapping right above, um, sort of, and they show up in the, on the camera is sort of just menacing black flappy shadows. Uh, <laughs> flappy and, shadows, of course, a wonderful <laughs> blues performer of the 1930s. Yeah. Yeah. And, and everything is made out of the stuff they found in the dump is so it feels like either an alien planet or one of those post-apocalyptic movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, eventually you do see outside of the dump and it's like, seeing the world you live in from completely uh, new eyes. It's, it's a, it's the kind of immersive otherworldly experience that we tend to think of more from fiction films or even science fiction films. Uh, but it happens here in this movie, something better to come along, along with a story that's, uh, unbelievably moving, um, and thought provoking, uh, and inspiring and also, infuriating as most movies about the homeless population in any uh, part of the world uh, can be. So yeah, something better to come. I'm not sure how you can see it, but I was uh, was going to ask like, you know, it's, it's unlikely they have seen it, but are they, will they be able to see it? And I wasn't, I'm hoping you're not sure. Okay. But yeah, I don't know off the top of my head. Maybe I should look that up uh, while we get into the next movie. Okay. Uh, The next one for me is uh, another film from uh, early in the year. I wish I could pronounce this guy's, name the director first name i'm just going to spell it david pay attention and you you okay first name j-a-u-m-e i don't know okay uh last name maybe can provide some context for the first name uh-huh. c-o-l-l-e-t dash s-e-r-r-a yeah I'm, nothing i'm not even gonna risk it yeah yeah because is it yeah i don't know I don't, I don't know. know. And I feel bad about that. Uh, the film he directed is called run all night. Um, starring Liam Neeson. And the thing is this, because of the taken films and then films like nonstop, which I actually heard was pretty good. Um, unknown, unknown because of those movies. Whenever Liam Neeson shows up in a thriller, people know, people have an idea of what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And whether it be, a movie from two years ago called a walk among the tombstones or run all night. Uh, I don't know. Just, move, people just don't either don't see them because it doesn't actually have taken or they're just like, well, I've already seen this. You know, he's just doing the same thing right. over and over again. Uh, walk among the tombstones is a very good movie. I wanted it to be better, but it's, it's, it's very interesting. Run all night is a good movie and it is, it owes a lot more to a history of violence than it does to Taken. Uh, and I don't say that just because Ed Harris is also in a history <laughs> of violence and run all night. Um, and it's just this, it's, it's a mob movie to a certain extent where it's, but it's, it's, it's the kind of mob that's 
small and tends to have something to prove where, uh, like the mob that is in one section of a city and probably cannot branch out beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Ed Harris is this mobster and, um, Liam Neeson is, uh, an, an enforcer who basically, who doesn't really enforce anymore and is just drunk. And the two have a really close relationship where Ed Harris just takes care of Liam Neeson and they've known each other for a long time. So that's the situation. It's actually very close and very tender and very affectionate. And then through a series of, uh, unfortunate events, um, Ed Harris's son, who's an asshole, uh, he winds up getting himself killed basically by Liam Neeson. Mm-hmm. Um, because he was actually going to kill Liam Neeson's son played by Joel Kinnaman. So there's, it's, so Liam Neeson is just trying to protect his son and he does. Uh, and then Ed Harris, who knows the type of son he has or had, uh, he knows that and he still feels a great deal of affection for Liam Neeson, but he's just like, I I have to kill you now. I have to kill you and your son. I have to do it. And it's Mm -hmm. like, what, why? Like he was going to kill my son. What choice do I have? It's like, "I I get it. What choice do you have? What choice do I have? Like there's this really interesting idea of like obligation, uh, a skewed sense of loyalty. The idea that context doesn't matter in life. It's just these arbitrary bonds trumping the genuine bonds that these characters feel towards one another. And then the action is actually done really well. Uh, but it's not an action film. It is, it is, I'd say maybe a thriller, um, but it's it's a character based film. Liam Neeson's doing great work. Ed Harris is doing great work. It's just a, it's you know, it's not the best movie you're going to see this year. It's no, it's not. I don't think it's even in the top half of uh, the movies that mm-hmm. I saw this year. Um, but it is still a movie that I really enjoyed and one that I definitely think deserves a second or in this case, I'd say a first look. Uh, Run all night. That sounds fantastic. Um, did you see the drop a couple of years ago? I did not. I heard that was uh, pretty great. You love it. You dig it the most. Yeah. Um, it sounds very similar. All right. My second documentary I talked about just a week or two ago on the movie journal. It's Bobcat Goldthwaite's Call Me Lucky mm. about Barry Crimmins. Uh, this, no, this one, I, I can't find any news about something better to come being available anywhere. Mm-hmm. But Call Me Lucky you can watch on Netflix mm-hmm. uh, right this moment if you want. Uh, and we'll wait for the episode to be over. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you can pause it, right? It's yeah. A, it's, a pod, it's a podcast. Not going to yeah. go anywhere. Not going to fly away. Pause the podcast, watch the movie, come right. back. You know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, I mean, I, I said that I talked about it uh, recently, and I, I think I was very, I very much praised it on the movie journal, but it's a movie that has stuck with me in the time since I've seen it and grown mm-hmm. in my estimation. Um because I think you and I were both not very big fans of Bobcat Goldthwait's last movie. Um, That's true. Um, which I'm already forgetting the name of God bless America. God bless America. And I think we both have the same feeling of like, well, maybe he needed to get it out of his system and now he can get back to making Bobcat Goldthwait movies. Mm-hmm. And it felt like, uh, I think I did kind of say this in the movie journal. Um, the idea, like the fact that it was a documentary seemed out of character to me. It's like, Oh, that's interesting. Uh, maybe this is another thing that he's doing to, um, you know, that he's working out. Um, but the more I think about it, the more this very much is 
a Bobcat Goldthwait movie. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen it yet? I started watching it, okay. and then as like like I mentioned the other day, yeah, uh, I started watching it, and quickly was like, oh, not in the mood for this. <laughs> yeah, uh, because Bobcat Goldthwait makes movies uh, at his best, um, and his best being World's Greatest Dad. Um, no question, movies that take really uncomfortable, um, taboo or just unsettling subject matter. Mm-hmm. And he makes incredibly humanistic and even sentimental films mm-hmm. around them. Um, and it's, it's the kind of thing that could feel like, uh, uh, maybe a touch too novel. Like maybe it's a gimmick, but I think he, he has a compassion for humanity that is in no way blind to the worst parts of humanity and yeah. is in fact more compassionate because he accepts that. Um, not that he necessarily tolerates evils, but yeah. he knows that this is part of the human condition and is not willing to um, turn a blind eye to it. And that's what call me lucky is. It's about some, it starts out as being a documentary about um, one of Bobcat Goldthwait's favorite comedians who was also very influential um, and helped Bobcat Goldthwait earlier, uh, early in his career. But um, it goes to a place of being an incredibly unsettlingly dark. Um, and it shows how a person, um, I think we tend to in movies, uh, especially in fiction movies, but when someone has been victimized, you know, by, by a, by a predator or, or mm. something like that, we want to see them as having been, um, wounded by it and needing solace. Yeah. And that's what Barry Crimmins is, but we also see how it turned him into, in some ways, a more compassionate person, but in many ways also a more angry person. And that's yeah. a lot of where his comedy came from. And the more he got into, the more he did comedy, the closer he got to tapping into the root of his anger and the more it tore him apart. Uh, yeah. I'd say in the past tense, Barry Crimmins is still alive, but he just doesn't really do comedy anymore. Um, and I think Bobcat uh, seeing, I, I always want to call Bobcat by his first name. Um, I feel like you have to. Yeah. Um, him seeing the potential to make an incredibly touching story um, about potentially the angriest person that he knows. Yeah. Uh, is he comes at it, uh, you know, again, it starts as one thing. It starts as being what you think is going to be a fairly conventional, uh, biographical documentary about, um, about a comedian or an artist or whatever. Um, and it ends up being such a Bobcat Goldthwait film in that it's, um, it's incredibly moving Hmm. and unforgettable. So yeah, that's call me lucky. It's on Netflix. Okay. Um, so next for me, uh, a film that has stuck with me since I saw it around Christmas time and a film that if, if you do it right, it could become a Christmas classic. Uh, when I think of modern day Christmas classics, I feel like the most recent one is probably elf. That's the first thing that came to mind. Yeah. Um, I can't think of anything that has come out since then that people, not Fred Claus. <laughs> I, well, what? <laughs> um, and I don't remember if Bad Santa came out before or after Elf. I think it came out before. Um, it's around the same time. Yeah, it was like I mean, within a year of each other. They might be the same year. Yeah, they might be, yeah. Um, 
so so this film i think could be in the same way as bad santa could be a christmas classic which is of course krampus uh (laughs) a film that I thought I would see and it'd be a lot of fun and I'd forget it the minute it was over, but it had stayed with me for a lot of reasons. Um, first off, it is just a really, the imagery is really effective. Um, use of sound is very, uh, I don't know. It just sound plays a big role, obviously in film in general, but there's something about, I mean, you talked about with poltergeist, the use of sound, can can sell any reality and if you're making a horror movie you need that sound because just like hey what was that that's that's yeah that's a very standard horror line and that is a response to something you can't see um so yeah the sound design is great art direction is wonderful it it's shot in a really good way and also just the design of krampus and then his his minions is very disturbing and uh and very intimidating uh the film is not necessarily that scary but it's also not trying to be scary it's, tr- it's gremlins it's trying to be gremlins essentially which is another christmas movie um you know i can't another think of anybody christmas classic another christmas cla- no question uh now i can't think of anybody that would find gremlins scary they might find it a little creepy or disturbing at times and krampus is most definitely that um but underneath that, and this is why it needs to, this is why it's a Christmas classic. There are plenty of movies. There are plenty of movies made around Christmas time that are about Christmas time that are much more uh, accessible and seeming seemingly more about Christmas than Krampus is. But those movies have a core of cynicism and a core of pandering. Krampus has demonic imagery, but at its core, is this idea of a deep yearning for uh, for connection with other people around the holiday season when that's what it's what it's supposed to be, but it has been replaced by not merely commercialism, but also uh, the sense of obligation that comes with the holidays, whether it be buying people presents or just we got to make sure that the meal is right. We have to make sure that we're all getting together and having a good time, basically guaranteeing you won't. Um, and so, but so it's like, that's what it has become. But underneath that is the understanding that, yeah, there was a time when buying a present for somebody else was like a fun thing. Like mm-hmm. I want to do something for you, uh, and getting together and having a nice meal was a fun thing. But now it just, just like everything tightened a little bit and now, or loosened, I guess. And now it's, everything is an obligation and it's a film that mourns that finds a lot of humor in it, but mourns that. And, and what I think is amazing about the film is that at the beginning, when our main character sees his extended family who are all, uh, assholes, they're all, you know, (laughs) they're all basically like cousin Eddie from, uh, from vacation, uh, Christmas vacation. Um, but over the course of the film, and, and their caricatures, I mean, one of them is played by uh, Dave Keckner, for God's sake. That should tell you everything you need to know. Ah! But as the film goes on, and these characters are now reliant on each other in a different way than purely obligation, now they're reliant on each other for survival, that's when you see, well, hey, wait a second, Dave Keckner just did something really heroic. And then Adam Scott did something a little shitty. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, wait a second. Uh, now these people are ta- are expressing affection towards one another. And now people, now they're unifying the way a family should. And so it starts out 
as caricature and then they the character come, the characters become more human as as the the situation uh calls for it's it's a really fascinating film that you know it's not an amazing film but it's so much more amazing than it needed to be it could have just been this goofy cynical christmas movie about this krampus thing the end but it wanted to be more and it succeeded tremendously that's exciting. Yeah. Um, all right. Here's my fifth and final. Okay. This is the one that I want you to tell me. Maybe people are talking about this. Okay. Maybe this has been. Um, but certainly no one was back when I saw it at the LA Film Fest in June. Um, it's a German film. It's called Victoria. Okay. And uh, it has a big central hook. Um now, do you know what the uh, selling point of Victoria is? Uh, I did for a while, and now I don't remember. Okay. So to me, that tells me that I'm right in uh, yeah, it's, in uh, pe- bolstering. The bolstering. People have talked about it. Mm-hmm. That's different than people are talking about. It's not part of a larger conversation. Okay, so the deal with Victoria, um, and this is going to be kind of like with uh, Call Me Lucky in a couple of ways. Um, one, in that I keep thinking about it more since I've seen it. And two, in that it on the surface or just when it's described to you, it seems like it's going to be something smaller and cheaper than it is. Because it, in this case, it has a gimmick mm-hmm. in that Victoria is a two and a half hour long movie that is one take. OK, that's 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 what I had remembered. Yeah. Um, but it's not at all content to just be that um, it's I guess it's a heist like you know robbery action movie but it's an hour of just characters talking and meeting each other before any of that even happens Mm -hmm. that that's the second half of the movie um it's about a a spanish uh young woman um living in berlin um after having failed to be accepted into a um, prestigious music academy so she's she's someone who trained all her life to be a pianist Mm-hmm. didn't ever get to where she was and now she finds herself a young adult and doesn't know what she is and so she's moved to Berlin and is working at a bakery or a okay. coffee shop or something and she, we meet her uh, dancing alone at a club she's gone to a club alone um, she's dancing with herself yeah she's dancing with herself okay. but not as a metaphor for masturbation like that song Dancing with mm-hmm. Myself she's literally just dancing with herself she's turning Japanese um, <laughs> Um, she's got a blister in the sun. Um, and there are a lot of songs about masturbation, it turns out. Uh, no, she, and then she goes to get a couple of hours sleep before she has to open the bakery and she runs into a group of, um, drunk, uh, young German men, kind of, kind of hooliganish. Uh, but she's drawn to them because she's so lonely and ends up spending some time with them and then getting wrapped up in their bank robbery that's mm-hmm. happening at the break of dawn. Um, or, or, or just before that, the movie actually, actually ends at dawn. Mm. Um, uh, and it's, it's like, um, I would compare it to, well, I would compare it to the Revenant, but in a way that makes it sound better in that mm-hmm. it, it makes it better. It's better than the Revenant. Uh, both movies are exhaustingly tense. Mm-hmm. Um, both movies are, very experiential and both movies 
were in their own very different ways, clearly very difficult to make. Yeah. Oh no, no question. Um, uh, I mean, apparently from what I understand, uh, Sebastian Shipper, the director and his cast made the, this movie Victoria three nights in a row starting it's yeah. from 4 a.m. to 6 30 a.m. So <laughs> they did this movie two and a half hours, three nights in a row. The third take is the one they kept. Um, and, uh, there's a huge amount of uh, choreography that needs to happen, especially later once after the robbery happens and you've got cops and stuff chasing them around. Um, but uh, where it's different from The Revenant is that it's um, so invested in its in its characters, mostly its main character, Victoria. That's why the movie is named after her. But also the um, the most sort of a charming and boyish member of this gang, the one that she develops a bit of a, a friendship slash potentially a crush on. Uh, it's a mutual thing. It's, it's about characters in the way that the Revenant is not. And even in the way that gravity is not, which is another film that has a similar yeah. type of, uh, uh, approach. Uh, and in addition to all that, it's, Unlike Gravity or unlike Birdman, it literally is just one shot for the entire yeah. time. They're not. There's no. There's no trickery. There's no hidden, hidden shots. Um, the actors clearly got quite a workout running around Berlin, as did the cameraman. It's all yeah. handheld. Um, it's it, it's pretty astounding. It has, uh, and it also has a score by this guy Nils Fromm that I've um, gotten into partially. I think I had heard of him before this, but I've gotten into him now as a as a. Um, as a function of, of liking his score so much. Uh, I feel like of the five movies here, it's the one I like the most and the one that I am able to say the least about. Hmm. Because, uh, like I said, it's so experiential that it kind of has to be seen uh, and experienced to really be understood. But I would definitely recommend uh, anyone check it out. And uh, don't do what I... I saw it in the theater, uh, you know, at a festival screening. Don't do what I do with most two and a half hour movies that I watch at home, which is split it up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, watch it all at once. That's it's, if there's any ever a movie that needed to be seen yeah. uh, from beginning to end, it's the movie that was shot from beginning to end. Yeah. yeah. Somebody watches it over the course of five nights and like, I don't see what the big deal is. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so, okay. Is that your last one? That's my last one. Okay. I'm torn. I, I had an alternate. In okay. case we, uh, in case we overlapped, um, and now I'm torn between my actual fifth film or the alternate. Um, I'm going to throw it to you. Which do you think I should talk about? Um, oh, uh, well, I guess I've only seen one of those. So I guess it's up to you. Do you want to talk about the one that I've seen or the one that I haven't seen? <laughs> I don't know. I, the one you've seen is something we've talked about recently. More recently. Yeah. Go with the other one. Okay. I can, so, can I say what the one that I sure. had seen is ex, uh, Michael Emerita's experimenter. Yes. Very cool uh, which is, which is very good. And, and, and was just completely like, it just wasn't talked about. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So my, my last film and, and yeah, before I get to it, I, I'm, I'm actually glad that we, that I'm talking about this. Uh, one thing that I've noticed, uh, as a theme, not in all of the films that we, that we've talked about, but in a lot of them, uh, none of these are in our top 10. Uh, in my case, very few of these are, are even close. Kamiko, the treasure hunter is pretty close, but yeah, it was in my Victoria top. Victoria for me is the closest to, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
like Kamiko is in my top 10 for a long time. Um, and then I think it's in my, I think, I think it's firmly in my top 20, but, um, but a lot of these are movies that could have very easily settled for something. Like I talked about mm-hmm. Krampus, it would have been super easy for it to, it would have, it probably still would have made the same money. They could have, you know, they have a comedic cast. It could have kept itself at a distance. It could have just been pure cynical comedy, the end, but it wasn't. Um, Kamiko could have just been, let's make fun of this character. Mm-hmm. Let's just, or whatever. It wasn't. Um, let's see. Uh, Poltergeist could have just been a by the numbers remake. Um, Victoria could have just been, okay, uh, we've got the, we've got the, uh, the conceit here. Mission accomplished. Run all night could have just been a standard Liam Neeson action picture. But in, in pretty much every case, the filmmaker has an option to just deliver what's, what's expected, but opts to go beyond that, which yes, the films aren't in my top in our top 20, but they do the, but they linger in my mind. And so here is the film. It is John Schnepp's the death of Superman lives subtitle. What happened? I don't like that last part, but um, so here's the thing. This film is most certainly not perfect. Um, there are certain things that he does, uh, choices he makes in this documentary that I don't like. Um, and other people have commented on, there are scenes where he will, he'll be interviewing, uh, you know, Tim Burton and he will be on camera intervie- interviewing Tim Burton. And so we'll have close ups of Tim Burton and then we'll cut to a, a, a two shot and we'll see like the, the interviewer are just kind of nodding along and a lot of people are like, why is he sitting there nodding? Why do we even need that? And part of me just thought like, I, I can see maybe the idea of making him a, for lack of a better term, character trying to like the investigator mm-hmm. trying to get to the bottom of this, trying to find out what happened, what, what, ha- what happened? <laughs> um, as they say in uh, mighty wind. Um, so I don't like that choice. I can kind of see where he's coming from, but I feel like he either needed to do more of it or, or less of it. Uh, sorry, more of it or none. Uh, but it's all about Tim Burton's uh, ill, not ill-advised, but I don't know. It just ill-fated. Let's say ill-fated. Uh, his ill-fated film, Superman Lives, that was going to star Nicolas Cage. So people have heard about this. Yeah. It's going to come out in the 90s. Uh, people have heard about this. It has become... It's famous because Nicolas Cage got paid millions of dollars uh, despite the fact that the movie never happened. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then there, you saw, you saw like pictures of him like in a Superman suit and it, everyone thought it looked kind of silly. Um, the film could have very easily said, oh my gosh, look at this crazy film. Can you believe that anybody entertained the notion of this? That's what it could have been. And it would have been easy to do. Mm-hmm. What it does instead is it gets you into the mindset of Tim Burton. It gets you into the mindset of Kevin Smith, who was one of the, who was a writer on it yeah. for a while. It gets you into the, into the mindset of the producer who thought this was such a great idea. And the thing is, it was a great idea. It shows you, it shows you all of these drawings of, you know, brainiac and, uh, and, uh, like the fortress of solitude as conceived by Tim Burton and what those characters were going to be. Um, 
it just it th- it feels like one of those documentaries that is incredibly well researched and this film didn't need to be well researched it could have just been like hey here's a bunch of talking heads a bunch of fun hollywood stories mm-hmm. uh the end but it's not it is the the filmmaker really wanted to engage with well what is it you know we've all been making jokes about this for so long what is it that that uh that in, that ma- that people saw in this and by the end of the film i genuinely mourned mm-hmm. the fact that this film did not exist you know uh a lot of people um early on in the film they talk about uh like brian singer when he was making superman returns and the one carryover there is that kevin spacey was always going to play lex luther he was going to be cast hmm. as lex luther in superman lives um, so when Brian Singer was making Superman returns, uh, and Warner brothers was like kind of iffy on a choice, he said, Hey, you were the guys that were going to put that we're going to, you were going to put Nicholas cage in the Superman suit. And that to you was a great idea. So maybe just cut me some slack. <laughs> and admittedly, uh, they shut up at that point, but like everybody involved, Everybody involved in that interaction was like, yeah, we, we don't know what we were thinking. Meanwhile, this, this film that doesn't exist by Tim Burton mm-hmm. is infinitely better <laughs> than, ba- than Superman Returns, infinitely better than Man of Steel. Um, only, I, I think Batman versus Superman is going to be bad, but only the level of darkness and the, and just how, willing Zack Snyder is to just steer right into that. Only that even slightly harkens to how, how deep into darkness Tim Burton was willing to go. We don't think of Superman as living in a dark world, but the way, but Tim Burton is fascinated with outsiders and Superman is an outsider. Yeah. He is the only person on this planet and it's, and they, they focus on that. It is, it is a, it is not a perfect film. Like I said, that they make a lot of mistakes, but it accomplishes its goal. And it's a difficult goal to accomplish, which is this thing goes from a joke. It goes from a punchline that we've all been laughing at for years to a thing we wish ha- existed. It's so much. I've, I've always like, part of me feels like, is it too late for this? <laughs> Can we make this happen still? Um, I've always wanted to do an episode on movies that weren't made. Oh yeah. Famous Absolutely. movies that weren't made. Uh, yeah, like Jodorowsky's Dune. Um, yeah. And there's a bunch of other um, Orson Welles' uh, Heart of Darkness. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, which was all going to be a first-person perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that it's... And that, that film, it's, I don't know how readily available to it is. I think you can probably find it online. It might be a situation where you have to like buy the Blu-ray or something like that. Um, right. But yeah, seek it out. It is, it's, and I, spe- I think especially for film fans, I think they would enjoy it. All right. Um, I'm increasingly glad we do this every, uh, episode every year. Yeah, it, it's too. a lot of fun. Um, thank you at home for listening. Um, we're not at the end yet. Uh, you can find us at battleshipretention.com. That's where you can find movie reviews, including movie reviews of most of the stuff we talked about today, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, and you can email us at david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretension.com, but never both. <laughs> um, I'm on Twitter at uh, Davey Pretension. Tyler's on Twitter at Tyler pretension. Uh, Tyler, you have another podcast. It's called more than one lesson. That's true. You also have one called worth playing for, which I'm guessing is coming back. 
It is coming back. We were a little iffy about if we wanted to or not, uh, especially because this season looks like it's going to be a special kind of intense um, where there's like a bunch of medivacs. And um, I thought you just meant because they were camping. Oh, you fucking asshole. <laughs> we'll get you next time. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so that will be coming back. But then um, at more than one lesson, we are uh, talking about uh, various uh uh, Oscar nominees from this year. So uh, last week we talked about Room. This week we're talking about Bridge of Spies. Next week we talk about Inside Out. So tune in for that. Okay. Um, my other podcast is called Hey Watch This with uh, with Paul and David. I don't know what's going on this week. I'm taking a lot of time off lately. But yeah, um, yeah just the nature of that podcast is that it has to be recorded on the weekends. We can't. If you and I are gone for a weekend, we can mm-hmm. like bank an episode yeah. get, like i can't do that with hey watch this so uh paul will have guest hosts for the next two weeks because i'm out of town two weeks mm. in a row um so i don't know what's going on but definitely check it out it's about tv yeah that's all right all right thanks for listening we'll get you next time bye bye This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.